Hey, Andrew, I'm in Johannesburg. Let's make some people jealous by telling them where you are. Yeah, so once the pandemic hit, it kind of shook me loose from D.C. and I became a nomad. I went to Asheville, North Carolina. I went to Austin, Texas. Uh, and then I ended up in this beautiful little beach town in Costa Rica called Nassara. Uh, so I live about a 10-minute drive from the beach. I have great Wi-Fi, very low rent, and great food here. So it's a really good place to be a digital nomad. Uh, and apologies for uh, anyone that makes uh, th- that this makes super jealous. Well, I'm pretty sure that anyone who's not in a warm, pleasant climate right now hates you. I'm on the verge myself, but I've I think I've checked my spirit. So <laughs> you're safe, brother. <laughs> you're safe. That's the way. To, that's the way to do it nowadays. Like we're all global, we're all digital, and so you just go where it's warm, whenever it's warm. Well, it's going to be warm soon enough here in Johannesburg, South Africa. So we'll hang in there. Listen, let's talk social tokens. That's why you're here. You know, a lot of people listening to this might be familiar with the work you did as a podcaster, a media owner in your own right, the global startup movement, of course, curating a bunch of great content for a fairly engaged community around the world. Talk us through what it takes to go from what you were doing before to what is now you being in charge of, well, co-founding certainly, and being the CEO of a social token proponent in Social Stack. So... 2015 to 2020, I uh, basically spent building a podcast company kind of in the trenches, the similar way that you have been with African Tech Roundup, and just found it very difficult in what was the early days of the creator economy to actually land a proper business model to attraction podcasts. I mean, we had a very niche, high-quality audience for the podcast of emerging market-focused investors, development finance professionals, uh, and we're starting to really develop for ourselves a very proper business model of live events and conferences in DC. And so just like heads down in the trenches for years up until COVID hit, which just absolutely shook everything up. We lost pretty much everything from that Friday to Monday in terms of like our business model, the ability to gather people in person and just had to really go back to the drawing board and reinvent everything. And so I had been in the crypto space for a while, just from like a casual observation speculator uh, standpoint, we created some content on the global startup movement and in similar ways that you and, uh, you know, some of the people in the ecosystem over there, like Simon Dingle and Michael Kamani had come on the show for Africa Tech Roundup in the past, um, but never was actually an active operator building a company in the crypto space. But I started to see on Twitter people coming into my feed specifically for NFTs. And I can see that we were about to hit this this next wave of crypto adoption that would be catalyzed by NFTs and digital artists creating work there. And in my research going into that rabbit hole, uh, I came across this asset class of social tokens. And that's when a light bulb moment for me really clicked of, whoa, this solves all the key pain points that I faced as a podcaster trying to engage my community, trying to land a proper business model to this you know, traction podcast. And I decided in July of last year that I would put the podcast on hiatus uh, and move to my next company, which is now Social Stack, which is a social token protocol for creators to issue their own branded cryptocurrency on Ethereum or Celo and start to provide ways for their audience to earn it and redeem it. Maybe Sorry. maybe if I asked you to explain that exact same sort of trip you described, 
but asked you to explain it to my parents sitting in Zimbabwe, for the most part, unaware of what cryptocurrency is and certainly what a social token is. How would you explain it? So, I mean, at the end of the day, cryptocurrency and blockchain in the context that most people discuss it uh, is just a decentralized consensus system. The innovation that Bitcoin introduced is that there's now a way to have a ledger of value out in the world that you don't have to trust a counterparty or like a centralized source to maintain the integrity of that ledger. Um, so that's like the most basic of what it is. And the reason that's so interesting is because the timing of it coming out back in 2008 when you know the, the hold that money and the banking system had on people's psyche was kind of broken with what happened in 2008, which introduced the ability for a new story and a new technology to be introduced. And that's what Bitcoin served, and which has led down to this entire rabbit hole of Ethereum and all sorts of decentralized infrastructure to build new financial tools, new applications, uh, and new ways for people to interact with each other, engage with each other, and co-create value together. The reason NFTs right now are so popular is because there's finally a simple enough of an interface for people to actually engage with the technology. They don't have to bring up a command line. They don't have to use tools like MetaMask, which everyone in crypto that's listening understands what that is. But the average person has no idea what MetaMask is, how to manage a non-custodial wallet. So right now it's a question of, are the interfaces for normal people to interact with this technology built? And that's the kind of point in the adoption curve that we've hit specifically with NFTs and social tokens. So, so social tokens, the most basic way to think about it is it's a reward system. It's a new economic layer that creators have to reward their fans for engaging with the platform. And the demand for the social token is derived specifically by the market opportunities that the issuer of the token enables. I mean, I, I think we should use African Tech Roundup and the token that you all have launched on Celo as the use case here where it's this new economic layer that you've introduced and your fans by engaging with the platform, right? By listening to the podcast, by subscribing to the email newsletter. Uh, however you as the creator want to incentivize the behavior of the community, you can set up social token rewards. And over time, what's going to happen is the most engaged audience members of the ATRU platform are going to be earning the most tokens. That's very powerful because it flips the concept of ownership on its head. And now you can basically build a platform that's co-owned by yourself as the creator and your community that are most engaged with the platform. And that's very exciting. There's this common understanding of cryptocurrency as we've all come to understand it, this idea of digital money that's underpinned by a technology that apparently makes it impossible to cheat anyone else who buys into the use of the system, right? And so issues we would have encountered in the in the analog world of being able to print fake money or sort of indicate to someone that you've paid them when you actually haven't, those kind of problems are solved for by blockchain technology underpinning exchanges of economic value using currencies based on it, right? So then there's the next layer of that where the earliest adopters of this technology have for the most part used it to try and create and capture value in ways that can translate into the real world to the extent to which the real world wants to acknowledge 
the value and existence of these currencies. And so then a step after that is, oh, that same underpinning technology can be used perhaps to ascribe value and verify the authenticity of other things like digital art, contracts, and other things. This technology that allows you know, an artist to create a piece of music, uh, an artwork, frankly, anything, but for the first time and perhaps in, in history, um, they're now able to sell it and perhaps continue to benefit from ongoing sales of this article long after it was first sold to the first person who owned it. And of course, the ledger of ownership can be tracked from the very first sale right until a thousand years from now when it's been sold, you know, thousands of times thereafter. Yeah. So, I mean, NFTs are basically a new superpower that the creator economy was was given. They solve the issue of IP ownership. They don't solve the issue of distribution yet. So, you know, like one of the ways that like we as creative people have lost our sovereignty over the past decade is platforms like YouTube, Spotify, they were honeypotted in as the revolution. And what happens is over time, these platforms, uh, they reach scale, they get infused with hundreds of millions of dollars of capital, uh, and they inevitably start to extract value from themselves at the expense of the artists. And that's the normal trajectory for, for all of these things. They start off as the revolution, and then they get big and fat, and they have shareholders, and they need to provide maximum value to those shareholders. So the distribution challenge is still up in the air. But it's, it's a step-by-step case. Like, it's, it's step-by-step, right? So right now, what NFTs have introduced is the ability as an, of an artist to immediately, right when you create your piece of content, you can register it on the blockchain, retain full ownership, and program in all sorts of things like royalties so that every time that piece of artwork gets bought and sold on secondary markets, you can be sent a percentage of that, right? Like that's a really powerful new cadence that's been introduced into artwork that's never been able to exist before. But now because of the full sovereignty of IP ownership, the first step in the creator stack has been solved for you call the NFT the superpower, what would you call the social token? If, and I'm saying this in the context of the social token as not just a superpower to the creator, to an individual who either creates or, or someone who, who buys and wants irrefutable evidence that they own something. What would be a great analogy for what the social token is for communities? Really what the social token has the power to do and what, you're, you, know, what, what you now have unlocked with ATRU token is the ability to incentivize behavior within the community so that the most engaged audience members and the most active participants in actually creating value and building the community can be directly rewarded for their contribution. And the social token represents a couple things. Uh, The first thing it represents is governance of the community. And so there's a term in cryptocurrency called DAO, It stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And this is the goal of every token, to uh, actually issue it out there into the world and have active community participants earning the token in a way that over time, the community basically becomes a self-governing decentralized organism. And the original founders of that could actually step away and let the thing run on its own. And there's a term in crypto called exit to community. And that's what that is referring to. Like, we're not looking to IPO. 
We're not looking to get acquired. We're looking to exit it to the community in the way that it creates a self-sustaining organism that exists and is governed um, by this decentralized network of people, irregardless of the original founders and creators of the thing. And so in the perspective of ATRU, you can think of this as a way for the most active listeners or the most active participants in the community having governance votes over time as you start to open up the community to that. And so that might mean governance in what the editorial for the week is. It can mean governance in where you choose to host a specific event. Like whatever decisions you want to give to the community, there are tools out there for you to take and like facilitate a voting uh, structure with the tokens as your, your voting ticket. So governance is like the first key piece that this is introducing. There, there's two others. Do you want to stop there? and Let me speak to the village for a moment. And by the village, I mean everyone we imagine to be part of, firstly, this immediate community of people who are committed to extracting and exchanging value via this platform, which is obviously podcast first, but extends to live events, human interactions that we've curated over the years, and, and value that we've packaged and exchanged in sometimes um, not so linear ways, right? And so for many of you who are part of this village, it might surprise you to know that this entire premise, this African Tech Roundup, didn't start out as, you know, this altruistic platform designed to serve Africa and the world in this profound way. If I'm terribly honest, this started as an accessory to a broadcasting career, a TV one that was in decline some six years ago. And a certain Andile reached out to a co-founding partner with a great newsletter to, to launch this platform as a means to, you know, to preserve and hopefully cultivate ongoing relevance as a broadcaster, right? And then over time, that turned into, oh, I guess we're serving people too. I won't say that it didn't matter to me that we, we were making a difference and actually serving the community and the broader continent in the world. But I have to admit that the primary objective of setting up this media platform was to advance a personal agenda. Now, do I think that agenda was nefarious? No. Um, but I will tell you that that agenda did shape and influence what this platform would be and how it would assert itself. Now, I happen to think I have, on most days, a decent conscience and a desire to do good. But um, we're, I think, learning in this world that nobody, not even a guy called Andile, who started or co-founded a platform like this, can be trusted to shape an agenda without bias, however tiny or seemingly harmless that bias might be. And so one has to think about what are the safeguards to ensuring that bias doesn't overcome the good we want to do or we want to see done with a platform like the African Tech Roundup? And as the co-founder and executive producer of this platform, I have to take a hard look at myself primarily, the team I have chosen to surround myself with to advance this mission, and the broader community. We, we need to ask ourselves what needs to be brought to bear in order to safeguard some of the values that we would like to see espoused by a, a platform like African Tech Roundup. Also, terms like steward ownership as broad principles, this idea that, you know, you definitely want people who care and are committed to the values we espouse. You want those people to have a voice in, in how this 
this platform evolves and and delivers on its mission, right? Because you want people who have a sense of stewardship to actually influence where it goes and not just people who might buy in for some other agenda, whether it's a profit motive or otherwise. And so from that perspective, it sounds like, oh yeah, governance, big deal, give us some votes. No, it's actually a lot greater than that. Do I envisage a world where you know, the African Tech Roundup could exit to the community completely? Well, it's really hard for me as as one of the you know, the co-founders of the platform to actually imagine that. But perhaps, you know, I need to build a stomach for it and a humility for for appreciating that at some point I might not be here anymore and I want to be able to leave behind a regime that basically ensures that there is a compass for, for keeping the platform on mission. So governance, huge, huge, huge. And I think perhaps it's helpful for people to understand where you know, you and I might have started this conversation, Andrew, beyond the fact that you were a, a, a podcaster and you, for the most part, have helped me develop a healthy, cautious enthusiasm for the potential of blockchain technology and social tokens. Beyond that, we've had for the longest time conversations about how do we deliver on safeguarding the mission that we undertake to do with the platforms and the media properties we build. And I think that's what's key here. And this is just a natural extension of that. And I think that you and I were very early on our acknowledgement that this is a micro conversation to a macro trend. And that macro trend is essentially the death of the celebrity. Right. People don't want to be talked to the way that Hollywood talks to people. People want community conveners that stand up for their beliefs and engage them and make them feel like they're a part of the conversation. Um, and like you've done that with African Tech Roundup, and you saw my kind of last series with the Global Startup Movement. Like I was baking in every sort of engagement component that I could, from taking in WhatsApp voice notes to having a follow-up virtual conference with interactive sessions that touched on major themes from the podcast. So this technology is just an extension of that trend and of that philosophy, and it boils down to the core of ownership which is what everyone's looking for. And accountability, I think, because I still go by broadcaster, creative, and strategist, right? And professionally, I primarily identify as this thing, which is, it's a a relic of an idea that comes from a world where the celebrity broadcaster got up in the morning, you had to sort of get up at the same time as they did to hear what they had to say, and you're welcome. You know what I mean? Where we're realizing that part of what's wrong or what's lacking in our ecosystem is too many people wanting to inhabit that relic of an idea to broadcast into the space, whether it's broadcasting agenda, broadcasting intent, with very little desire to actually engage meaningfully and learn readily. And all of this requires such a humility because starting with me and the team around me, we have to appreciate that we're not the most important aspect of what we get up to do in the morning. The most important aspect is the extent to which we're serving our community and the extent to which they're highly engaged in the process. And so I think that's what takes us to the next thing. So we've covered governance. What engagement might be next as far as social token and its utility? Yeah, I would say say the next would be access. So these social tokens, the question is like, what is the utility? So what market opportunities are you opening up 
to people that are earning this token. And I think you've, you've solved for that pretty uniquely, whether it's reserving ad spots on the ATRU platform that you can only book with the token, right? That's like one thing that is really valuable market opportunity for your community. And again, because this is an only a thing that can be earned, not bought, only the most active participants in the community will be able to unlock that opportunity. Another one might be a private community that you open up, whether it's a, a token-gated Telegram channel or a Discord server or monthly Zoom call. You know, there's all sorts of things that you can open up to people that requires either holding a minimum balance of the ATRU token or actually redeeming it for something. So like maybe it's exclusive piece of art that the ATRU platform puts out that you can only buy with a thousand ATRU tokens. You're, you're, you're really only limited by your imagination here. And the more opportunities that the token unlocks, the more utility it has and the more value that will be driven accordingly to that. Um, over the years, Andrew, you'll know, uh, I mean, we, we had so many conversations about, you know, maintaining the integrity of our platform, uh, the tension of advancing our commercial interest while maintaining sort of editorial integrity, ensuring that we don't let certain voices in our ecosystem dominate our feeds uh, because we so badly need their commercial support via ads or content sponsorships and things of that nature. And so... Imagine a world where the bar for who gets to project into the space, into the village, as it were, and beyond it, as far as our reach will, will lend itself. Imagine a world where people who get to do that are the people who have, by a number of different measures, demonstrated their commitment to the ecosystem, the village first, the ecosystem next, and the values that would espouse what healthy engagement and learning looks like in that space healthy storytelling, attacks on oversimplification. What does that look like if you're a corporate player in our ecosystem? Well, it might mean we have a Patreon for, this is, this is a real thing, we have a Patreon for, for corporate partners. Guess what? It's not very much for you to contribute on a monthly basis. 50 bucks or 150 bucks. Why are we doing that instead of demanding more? Well, because we'd actually like to see many, many, many corporates participate so that we're not reliant on any one, right? We'd like to see the ecosystem participate and spread, you know, the economic burden of making something like what we do exist sustainably over time. And for that, there should be rewards, social rewards, uh, village credit that is accrued because of that sort of level of participation. And so I love that word. Village credit, that's exactly it. It's, it's village credit. And, and so we're happy to, to create an environment that allows village credit to accrue and vest in institutions and individuals within our ecosystem who are doing the things that matter to ensure that the work that matters gets done. And so from that perspective, it's, it, there's a culture shift perspective. There's, there's an access thing, which I, I suppose commodifies what, we're, what you end up with, which is the opportunity to, to advertise or something like that. But I, I want to think about it more as the privilege that accrues because you are doing what the village first and what the ecosystem next needs. That's a perfect segue into the final component of this, which is status. And you, you have to think about like, what is the mindset of an NFT collector? 
why would somebody spend tens of thousands of dollars on a JPEG file that's registered on the Ethereum blockchain? Uh, and the answer is status. Like, if you think about the most popular NFT artists, what's happening is people are buying their work for this much money because they want to be seen by them. They want them to see that they're the ones that bought their work. They're the ones that are supporting the artist. And that bleeds over into like every NFT community out there. Like an NFT is only as valuable as the underlying community that it affords you access and status within. And so that bleeds over into the social token space as well, because over time, the most engaged fans who are earning the most tokens, they're going to become visible to you. They're going to rise to the top. You're going to be able to see it's, it's, it's open. These are open blockchains. And so you'll be able to see the addresses out in the world that hold the most ATRU Cello tokens. And so that's like a key driver of social token economies. It's like status and social capital within the community. But that's only valuable if there is an actual village there, which mm -hmm. in your case, there certainly is. And so that's like the third kind of driver of this. And us as social stack, we're looking to build all sorts of tooling that's going to make those people visible, whether right. it's ta like a, a special tag on or icon on Discord, or like every time you attend an ATRU Zoom call, you have a special badge that can only be unlocked by being one of the top 10 ATRU holders. And right. So things like that are, are really powerful social incentivizations for people. And I mean, we're also motivated to start thinking about our village, not as one sort of giant monolith, but as individuals who are interested and invested. And so there's a sense in which when you have a broadcasting mindset, you think about the potential audience and then you think of, and then you wait for the numbers to come back on the sort of commodified version of what that audience was, which is really a number on a page. What we're trying to transition to as you started to do uh, in the tail end of your tenure at Global Startup Movement is actually start to treat people like the people they are, not as platform analytics, but as individuals that are worth creating relationships with and inviting to the table in governance, in curation and production of what we know needs to be done for our ecosystem to advance itself. And so there's an intentionality to us trying to find all sorts of ways, technological in this case and otherwise, to become human again in a way that is akin to what the fireside storytelling dynamic used to be before we had electricity. The only way stories and good ideas could scale was literally one intimate conversation at a time. And there's a sense in which that's possible now at scale with podcasting. And now there's a version of us you know, leveraging podcasting and blockchain technology to allow those who are most engaged to, to emerge as community nodes and conveners in their own right. All that to say, we've been dreaming about trying to make this happen using the technology that existed. But now that it's finally here, it's kind of mind-blowing that we actually get to play with it and, and, and invite the village to come and experiment to, to bring it alive. Because frankly, that's, that's what we need. And so I want this part of the conversation to sort of end here for now, because there's a lot more technical information that I think I'd want to make part of a second conversation, which is, you know, you're hearing things like, you know, social stack is enabling social tokens on Ethereum and Celo. Why are we going with Celo and not Ethereum? There are really good reasons for that. Well, how are we 
planning to roll out some of the ideas we have for bringing this token to life and allowing the, the community to start to earn it. How do we envisage some of the ways that people will be able to spend it? I know you've you sort of thrown forward to that, Andrew, a little bit, but we want you to know that you know what we start with is definitely a precursor to a much more involved ecosystem that we envisage over time. And so it'll be useful for us to paint a picture of what that ecosystem might look like at full flow versus where we're going to begin. And of course, most excitingly, as the village, you're probably most interested in knowing how you can get your grubby paws and some of this token. <laughs> and as, as far as we're concerned, we're really keen on, on letting you in on how we are going to be dishing it out because we look forward to doing that too. So Andrew, thank you so much. I've managed to suppress my hatred for you. You get to record this podcast outdoors. I'm hearing dogs barking. I'm hearing the palms swaying. Um, please do take care uh, until we have you back to talk about this some more. Thanks again. Thank you.